Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at indigenousvision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode. Welcome to the 81st episode of the Indigenous Vision Podcast. I am here with our executive director, Suta Callinglast, and a very special guest, Yulia from Dream Nation Love. My name is Melissa. Welcome, ladies, to the space today. How are you, Yulia? I'm good. I'm good. I am uh, hanging in there. It's a new year and uh, just trying to get our episodes done and trying to get a few other things done. How are you? I'm doing really well. I've been really busy with Suta behind the scenes here at IV. We're doing lots of trainings, um, just a lot in general. How are you, Suta? I'm doing good. I'm laying the day. I'm submitting budgets. I'm paying invoices and sending invoices. <laughs> so it's a good day. And then also planning summer travel and, and the events, which MMIW is one of the events coming up. And so we've been, I've been loosely in contact with some of the women we plan with. Sounds like some very cool things. Uh, somebody was throwing around fashion show and then I threw out the red show. And then, yeah, I think it'll be a very cool event this year. And I, it was more, uh, recently uh, Misty Upham Memorial and she's a Blackfeet actress that had a lot of trouble in Hollywood when the Me Too movement started. This is just a very timely episode. I'm I'm really glad this is the topic of the day. And when are the events going to be? Are they going to be like midsummer or are they going to be at the start? May 5th. Oh, May 5th. Oh, I thought you said summer. I'm sorry. Maybe did I just wake up? I didn't. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, for my summer, my per like, well, not my personal, <laughs> but my work summer events. And so that's travel and Blackfoot place mapping. And, yeah, so I was just looking into that right before this call and almost missed the call and lost track of time because I'm so summer travel. I know that's exciting. Um, what's the Blackfoot uh, mapping project? It's part of a national mapping project. And so um, I'm hoping for one day there to be one or two of me in every nation. And we're just mapping out and digitizing a lot of collections that are just in paper format right now, journal articles, newspaper articles, books, tying them to places on the land so that those books come alive. And it's a big digitized collection of, of history and uh, current day uses, cultural uses. That's awesome. That's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, we're all really cool in this room. I was just contemplating that, like watching you two talk. But um, I can't believe it's been a year, Yulia, since we like linked up for the first time and uh, began talking about your special series. Why don't you give us, our listeners, a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you do and this very special MMIW series that you're working on? Yeah. So this MMIW series has been in the works probably for the last six years. I learned about uh, the MMIW movement from my sister-in-law, who's native. She's Lakota Sioux. And um, I flew in for the very first time, like six, seven years ago, into into the Pacific North Northwest, like around Washington, um, Idaho area. And I've never seen the signs in the airport that said, watch out for trafficking victims. Like I've never seen it in JFK in all my years that I've lived here. In New York, I've never seen them like anywhere in Florida. So um, when I landed, I was like, what's up with all these like missing people posters everywhere and like Spokane and and like all these signs in the bathroom. And um, 
my sister-in-law told me about the MMIW movement and also about all the sex trafficking and just missing people in general that um, that are just disappearing in the Pacific Northwest and on the rest of the U.S. It's really prevalent in Washington and the Pacific Northwest, and especially the road between um, Canada. Obviously, obviously, your, your listeners know way more about this than I do. Between um, Canada and the U.S., and uh, I just became obsessed with uh, the topic of missing and murdered Indigenous women because there are over like five thousand four hundred women that are missing in the U.S. And there are only about 116 cases opened by the federal government. I just couldn't believe it was happening in the U.S., that these women are disappearing in front of everybody's eyes. And I took about six years to just like read as much as I could about it and start really connecting with different indigenous people and learning more about what's happening in the communities and how, how come nobody knows about this. Like if Gabby Petito goes missing, it's on like every news channel possible, right? Like blonde YouTuber cute missing the whole world is looking for her but there are around 5500 women that are missing and men as well in two spirits um and the numbers are not even reflecting the number of people that are missing and um i really made it like a point to do a lot of research and amplify indigenous voices and i've been working on this for like six years and melissa and i have been compiling the episodes for the last year and my husband is indigenous and my kids are half indigenous so i really wanted to work on these episodes to bring this crisis into light you know there are a lot of people talking about it there are a lot of indigenous communities talking about it um there are a few like mainstream media reporting on it but I think for the majority of the world, they're just not aware. And the question is, why aren't they aware? (laughs) If these messages exist, are they just ignoring them? You know, is it, is it systemic racism? Is it racism? Is it that people just don't care? I figure people are really, really into true crime. So I'm like, if people are into true crime, this is the biggest true crime that has happened in the United States of America. So how come people don't care? Is it because it's women? so many questions, so many questions. And I started delving into it and just talking to as many indigenous voices as I could and and really trying to like get into understanding how this is happening at all, all the different various points that have led up to it from the like colonial times all the way until now. So it's been, oh, I get really emotional talking about this. I get like, you know, like, my hormones too, but like I get very emotional talking about it because I can't believe nobody's doing anything to help the the relatives and, and the women. It, 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 there's there, I think social media is adding a lot of um, amplification to the movement. And I think the younger generations are doing a lot of like TikToks, which I find really, really fascinating and Instagram amp- amplification and obviously Facebook. So I think everything is kind of coming to light due to social media, which is really wonderful because these these cases have been happening for years, for, for centuries. I actually have a podcast later on in the week with a woman. She's she's Caucasian, but she first did um I did a series on analyzing all the TikTok videos of missing and murdered indigenous people. And like I just thought that was fascinating because I'm doing a whole entire episode on data. So we're talking about indigenous data gathering versus Western data gathering, which is very different. And then this woman started looking at like social media gathering and I'm like, where does that, where does that fall in? You know, like, is it the Western world? Well, it's a tool that was created by the Western world. Like white men (laughs) create social media and technology companies, but here are indigenous creators that are using these tools to create awareness of relatives that are lost, friends that are lost and the cause. 
And this woman who's in college wrote this really amazing, amazing thesis. Her name is Megan. And it delves into like how people are using TikTok to bring awareness to causes. And I, I thought that was like fascinating because I think there's so many creative ways that people are really getting out the message of MMIW say, you know, so that brought up a good fact about like, you know, what about we do a fashion show? How do we bring more awareness to it? You know, Jordan is doing um, amazing marathons with a handprint on her face. There's so many people trying to bring attention to it. How do we get the world to listen? Yeah. I can talk forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're just synchronized. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the last week, I've seen fellow activists have to defend themselves. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say activists um, because this is just women, right? They're just women speaking out about our safety. <laughs> that's not activism. That's just a community um, concern and issue. Um, it should concern everybody, right? Everybody wants to protect their mother and everybody wants to protect their sister. But I've seen two people have to defend themselves over why they were involved in MMIW work. And to me, I was thinking, well, that's some privilege. Uh, if you have, if you, if you are a native woman and you've reached like over 25 and you've never experienced anything that could make you an MMIW because me and all the women I know have experienced something that could have made us uh, missing or um, dead at the hands of another person's negligence. And so I was thinking everybody needs to be involved and everybody needs to share their story because those stories are how we learn from our interactions, our social interactions about what, what's right and what's wrong. And it's not, you know, it's not okay to get mad at a girl who refuses a dance with you and, and rev your truck engine and throw a beer, like a full beer can at her head that is not a socially acceptable behavior <laughs> and you can murder somebody. And, um, and was, did that scenario happen because the woman was native? Would they have done that to a, a white woman? Then we have to dive into society's unconscious scripts of how we put value on people based on the color of their skin and the anti-blackness and the the value spectrum of that. I, I just think it's interesting that you bring up value, right? Because I think when it comes to women, how valued are women in society? Obviously, we can see it in modern day, you know, our reproductive rights are being taken away. But then when you start looking at different races, you know, like, what is the value? What What is the value that society puts on people? You know, like as, as a white woman who I've lived like in a really different world where I have a lot of privilege, but I've also grew up like a Russian immigrant. So I'm super poor with a single mom. So I, I go into like a lot of different worlds. Like I live in a, I live in a lot of different worlds. Like I moved here for Russia. We moved like with a hundred dollars and um, my uncles here helped us and a lot of amazing federations. So, so we were like dirt poor. Like we moved with like one suitcase. We are not like Russian oligarchs, you know, <laughs> like that's not us. And uh, so we moved here in 89. But then when we moved here, we were lucky enough to move to like the eighth richest town in Connecticut, uh, in, in the US. So I was immersed in this school system, mostly white. I just thought that was normal. At the age of like 10, I was like, oh, people have private planes. People have huge houses. I'm just poor. So I was able to go between all these different worlds you know, still knowing my place in it <laughs> being like, oh, I don't, I don't want you to come over to my house. You know, like, I don't want you to see where I live. I definitely don't have an airplane, let alone like two bedroom with my mom. So, uh, so I was able to see all these worlds, but um, 
but again, as a woman, it didn't protect me in life from dangerous situations, you know, and I think so many women in general are exposed to gener- uh, to very serious, serious situations that are like terrifying. And, you know, I hope more women take up self-defense, which is like something that you offer as well. You offer self-defense courses for women. I think privilege doesn't shield you from it, but also socially economic positions in society put you a little bit more in danger of these situations, unfortunately, because depending on where you live, depending what you have to do, you know, it obviously helps if you're, if you have like a good network around you and if you have money, but like, you know, growing up from not having money, I will tell you, like I've been in some really risky situation. And uh, I think moving to big cities, which is something I've learned from a lot of the people I interviewed too, which, which I was really surprised. I, I went in here just like listening to women's stories about survivors. And um, a lot of the survivors were telling me that they were trafficked by people that they trusted and they knew. So they went into the sex trade, you know, because a boyfriend just kind of like talked them into it and they needed money. And there were all these different situations that were just so delicate. You know, I think a lot of people think of like, you know, true crime, missing and murdered of like somebody being kidnapped in a van off the street. And sometimes those stories happen, but there are a lot more delicate situations, which which rely on, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, relationships and manipulation and just, you know, nefarious nefarious um, goals sometimes by men, basically. I'm still collecting a lot of stories and I'm also talking to, I'm trying to bring a lot of the conversations from every side for the podcast. So I've interviewed like Washington State Department, the the Washington State Police, uh, the Washington State Patrol. I keep on calling them police patrol. I have a podcast with the FBI in the next few weeks. So I have a collection of stories reflecting all the different nuances that are happening in the MMIW movement. Like I'm trying to get a few voices that were involved with um, the extraction industry as well. So that's been like very delicate and very hard to, to kind of like get, but again, I'm not a journalist. I'm just somebody who's done a lot of research and I've just started reaching out to people and trying to see where the story is. I'm like, okay, well, what's the story? What's the full story? What is the full scope of MMIW. And I don't think I can even cover the full scope of MMIW in my lifetime. It's it's an iceberg. It's huge. And there are some rabbit holes where I'm like too scared to go down in because I'm like, I'm not going to research like how the Russian mob probably has something to do with like sex trafficking in the Midwest. Like that is terrifying, you know, or, or the Hells Angels or who else, who else is involved in this? How far does this rabbit hole go? You know, women are women are a commodity, like, like mother earth. We are a rare commodity and we're just being ah, destroyed on a daily basis. It's already hard enough to exist. Yeah. While you were talking, I just got an image of that video that just came up like yesterday of the man trying to lasso someone out of the barista job. Like, like the misogyny is just everywhere. And I, sometimes I'm awake at night being like, why is there so much misogyny? Like, how did this start? And why is it perpetuating? And how is it so prevalent and like blatant even to this day? I was just thinking about that, but I didn't bring it up. I'm glad you brought it up. And I was like, what, what happens in the mind of a person where they think they can just go in and like snatch another person? How privileged or like how, how demented must you be to like do that? I don't know, like <laughs> out of a drive-through yeah. window, like, you know, there are cameras too, right? Like, obviously you're not that bright, <laughs> yeah. but like, if that can happen in the broad daylight with cameras around, what happens when there are no cameras around and there, there's no daylight? Pretty intense, pretty intense. 
you know, there's a reason why we do culture humility. And it's because we're trained unconsciously from a very, very young age, scripting, right? We're scripted from a very young age for what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And, you know, as you all were talking, I was thinking about Pepe Le Pew and the kitty cat and um, just like my earliest images of what's acceptable between male and female. And then those interactions of like what happens, like the girl is supposed to giggle and run away and accept the behavior over and over and over. And Pepe Le Pew is never accepting just N-O. <laughs> like, like, I don't think there is a single episode where, <laughs> but that's every single cartoon afterwards, uh, Lady in the Tramp, Pocahontas, uh, <laughs> everything, all those 80s movies, everything, There, there's, those are socially acceptable forms. And when it comes down to it, two thirds of those executive leadership teams behind those decisions are men. I don't think those would have been like that if we have, um, you know, a 50-50 split between men and women at the executive leadership and the decision-making positions. Yeah. I mean, do you remember all the 80s where like all the women had their butts snapped on camera? Like there were like an underwear and locker rooms and their butts were snapped. And then like women were slapped in the 50s, 60s. They were like, you're hysterical. I mean, it's just crazy watching watching things that right now. Like, I try to play Looney Tunes for my two year old. I was like, "Whoa, this is way too violent." I was like, "I grew up watching this. Oh my god!" Like, I was like, "This is not. I don't think I want her watching Looney Tunes." All right, okay. So, Looney Tunes are off the menu. What else is there? It's so hard to find good content, and I, I'm looking at things right now as like a parent, because because I am a parent, and it. I'm also noticing the formulas and and kid cartoons, which makes me really sad. Like they're like, okay, kitties work. We'll make them super kitties. That's like the new one that just came out. Or like, oh, okay. And the super kitties are obviously off of like Paw Patrol, which is like, you know, doggies and cars. And that's a good formula. People love doggies. People love cars and put them together and all this excitement happens. Then there's really like no story in it. It's just like things that just are mindless. And it's really hard to to teach kids like any messages that are like positive like there's oh there's a great canadian cartoon i've been watching it's called uh what is it called it's called yakari have you heard of yakari Mm -hmm. it's like a native american little boy and he goes on all these adventures in the wild and there's like an eagle and they're animals and like he talks to animals and it's like a really great cartoon because this kid is outdoors they're valuable lessons he's talking to animals and i was like i like this cartoon this is like a simple great cartoon it doesn't have to have bells and whistles it doesn't have to have like police cars screeching by it doesn't have to have superheroes it just has like life like he just goes explores the backyard and then like something happens with the family and he like figures out how to help the family and i'm like what happened to cartoons like that where are cartoons like that even young adult shows um like i was i was trying to show my son like i like to show my son the shows that i liked and then seeing them now as an adult i'm like wow there's so many innuendos that are baked into the script and I just turned one off the other day and it was some Jack Black movie and he was a filmmaker and he needed to get money to go on some kind of safari quest and uh, was stealing equipment and jumping on the boat. But he had to convince this 1920s um, money team to fund him, right? The boat, the expedition, all of that. And he's he's got this big grand cultural 
scheme and the it's right into those scripts as early as like just a couple years ago because this team i know they were trying to be reflective of the time but there was no reference to say that it was wrong and they said what are you doing all of this pyramids and and uh cultural stuff if we're sending you over there we want to see the exotic native women and and no top topless exotic native women and i was like huh that's right right there that, that i think that was you know it's a jack black film so it was really recent and though those people are responsible for how our general public thinks <laughs> and and whether they like it or not you know um everything we put out there is is we have to reference like this is this is my thought and you know please use your own discretion people don't say that for the movies right like we all have to teach our children what's real and what's not real when they're first watching tv and i had to explain to my son like what a movie is and what pretend is and so i realized some people don't get that right yeah and it's it, it's so interesting how much media plays into like our common consciousness right and, and i think this is what we're doing with podcasts like this is my hope for dream nation love and this is my hope for this conversation with us is that we're amplifying the important and the positive messages so more people are exposed to them so while there is a lot of like awful stuff out there while while there's a lot of like offensive sexist racist just just garbage let's just label all of it like garbage that does not belong in people's consciousness it's a distraction it like does not improve society it's awful i hope that we can kind of like be the little lights that rise above the trash <laughs> and we can like illuminate people's minds and we can turn them onto topics that might be maybe too scary for them because i mean like God damn, these are like really, really scary topics. These are terrifying topics. These are hard topics. And not everybody can have a hard topic conversation. Not everybody can face these. But you know what? At the end, it's like doing anything difficult. Like once you have the hard conversations, once we learn about something, you can't go back. You can't like, you can't be the same person that you were before. And I hope you become like a better person. And I hope it helps you like, prevent things in some way in your life right like we're, like if you see something that you don't agree with that you can actually speak up and use your voice and go you know what i don't agree with that and that gives more women a chance and and you know two spirits and and just everybody even if it's a man in a boardroom just going you know what oh, i think we should cut the topless women line i just i don't think it should be in there just because you know i'm married and i have a wife or who knows i have a sister whatever just because it's not okay and somebody has enough courage to speak up and say it's not okay and if we just keep on doing that and checking everybody in society and if we all just like get that guy who tried to lasso a woman and just go that's not okay and you know what i think about like that is not the first time he tried to lasso a woman i am positive i am positive that's not the first time he tried to lasso a woman and it might not be the last time and you know what like i don't know what you do in situations like that i don't know how you punish people and i don't know if they learn their lesson that's the that's the terrifying part of this whole entire thing like i think for my final episode i was trying to figure out a way of like okay well how do we deal with toxic masculinity how do we deal with systemic problems how do we how do we solve this how do we prevent people from like doing really awful things to women and underrepresented groups in the future and i don't know if i have a an answer and that's like the most awful part 
Like I was like, I don't think the people that are doing awful things are going to stop. Yeah, that's that's dark. That's dark. It is dark. Well, that's why I think it's so important that we all do what we can, the little bit that we can, that it's not tasked to one individual or certain elected leaders of our community. I think it's really important that we all, as women, share with the men in our families and in our communities exactly how the specific instances of of the treatment that's unacceptable. Like they don't have to take that line out of the movie, but they should add a member of that board who says, what are you, a heathen? You know, that matches the time and era as well and also changes and sways people's behavior of what's acceptable and what's not. It's all fixable. And I think it comes down to an individual level. And so thank you, Yulia, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you you have more episodes coming out. I wanted to know what's been the reaction with your listeners from your first episode for people who may have never heard of it. What's been the feedback? I think people were shocked. I think people were like, I can't believe this is happening in the United States. And then I think people were really overwhelmed to learn about the whole entire thing. I think they were kind of like into the true crime part of it. Because, you know, I come from an advertising background. So my whole thing is like, how do you get people to listen? Right? Because if you approach it from the usual way that people approach things, which is like, hey, there are about 5,400 Indigenous women missing. Some people just might turn off to that message because they're racist. That is just it, right? So I'm like, well, how do you get everybody to really like understand what's happening? How do you get the racist to even listen and give a crap? How? You know, like, what? okay, well, so what happens if I tr- call this a true crime episode? Because uh, like, there people are obsessed with true crime episodes, right? So I'm like, okay, well, does that help deliver the message further? Does that help deliver the message further than it would go? Because I want this to reach everybody in the U.S. Even if you don't decide to do something about it, even if you're not like connected to MMIWR somehow, you know, whether you like donate money to an organization. Um, I think the greatest thing was I, I was talking about this to a friend of mine and she became really passionate about it. She was like, oh, my God, I listened to the first episode. Now I just want to like donate money to indigenous causes. She was like, I just I have a I have a fund and I just want to like help indigenous people this is where i think like my life's work can happen and i was like that's amazing like you found your thing this is great i think people were really confused about the scope of it because people kept on messaging me like how is this happening wait what do you mean the tribal the state and the federal police don't all like necessarily work together what do you mean the fbi has to have all this data to catalog all the cases like what do you mean? It's so disjointed. Like this is happening in the U.S. and there's no communication between any of the departments or there's small communication or, you know, like, what do you mean? There's like only one database, but not everybody has access to it. What what is going on? So I think there was a lot of confusion because the topic is really complicated. So I'm doing my best to really craft a story. And obviously, amazingly working with Melissa, you know, we're trying to like make this really comprehensive. And trying to tell this story in a way that's like accessible, because I think for me, it's really easy to get down into the nitty gritty and just be like, this is how this goes. And this is connected to this. And then this is go- like going with this. But I think for for like the average listener in the U.S., it's overwhelming. It has to make them think. And like my show makes people think like this is not a show that you can just like kind of like tune in to and like check out like 
like Dream Nation Love is going to make you think. There are a few episodes that are a little light and airy, you know, but when you tune into an episode of Dream Nation Love, you're not going to come out the same way. <laughs> like on the way that you checked in, you're not going to come out on the same way out. You're going to learn new things and you're going to have to like think about the world in a different way because hopefully you'll be exposed to a few more angles that you've never thought of. So I hope people who like to think tune into the show and I hope that people that don't like to think give it a chance. <laughs> And, and that, that's that's all I hope. And like together, like we can't do this alone. I think if everybody in the States was aware and if they were aware of trafficking victims and if they were just aware what the hell's going on. And like, I think this would happen a lot less if people spoke up and public shaming, I think, should come back to like if you were just like an awful person, <laughs> I think maybe we should bring back public shaming. I don't know how, maybe on social media. I don't know, but be like, man, this person is terrorizing the town. It's at certain levels of society. And one of my most favorite groups of people are the Sharps. And that's the the ska punk music genre. And that's skinheads against racial prejudice. Mm -hmm. And they'll even beat down a brown person for being a a jerk, a discriminatory jerk. But um, Within that group, I have met and visited with people who used to be racist or people who are like um, very poor and and still working on getting their swastikas removed because they had lived that lifestyle or were brought into it. They were recruited at a very young age and groomed to be part of that lifestyle. And so it's, um, it's like a gang, you know, people are recruited into it and programmed and scripted. And then either they continue on with that lifestyle or they say F this and, and also like music and live shows and say, I'm going to become a sharp, a skinhead against racial prejudice. So I, I, I know radical change is possible. And I know that you can go from being a complete racist jerk to somebody who is so against uh, anti-racism and discrimination that uh, you are upholding it in in all levels. So that is, um, you know, socioeconomic uh, discrimination that you may have faced when you were younger. And, you know, they just don't want anyone to be a jerk because somebody is lesser, especially because of race. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Sharps, the history of Sky is really interesting. I was fortunate enough to do a podcast with uh, Pauline Black of Selector, like a five or six years ago and she's like one of my heroes and uh we just talked about you know the the whole ska punk movement and and the whole entire like unity movement and the two-tone movement you know two-tone was white people and uh, dark people coming together in england after world war ii and creating music and those two teen groups joined together because Jamaicans were invited to rebuild um, England back after World War II, and then they got there, and then the money just wasn't wasn't there for some reason. I think they got screwed over by the government, and so there were like large immigrant groups stuck in London, and there was a lot of racial uh, rioting. And uh, and thanks to weed, <laughs> yes, I love weed. People got together and started making music because teenagers were like, "Hey, you have weed? Cool. I like music. Let's jam." And like. Rocksteady and like Scott came around and that is like the most powerful message you know that I, I think once you find a hobby especially music music is so amazing it can really like change people's intentions and and focus their energies on something positive the most beautiful karma in music right is 
because the the racist skinheads would listen to reggae and two-tone and then I think that's where their schooling started and that's where their opportunity to grow and evolve as a person in this earth journey in in that the music that they love and they get down to is is black made and that's Which is also the music in America too like you have Elvis and everybody else it's like you have <laughs> Thornton and and you know we can have a whole entire music discussion I'm like I can totally oh, talk about this forever. totally rock and roll <laughs> in America oh my goodness I can go on and on We're, we should probably wrap this up so where can people find you Yulia and when can they expect episode two of the MMIW series all good questions uh you can find me on dream nation love because there's always love at the end of everything so I put like love at the end of dream nation because my goal is to unify people right dream nation it's like a dream nation of people maybe eventually i can have a plot of land and like have events that'd be cool and uh <laughs> so dream nation love on instagram and if you go on the website it's dreamnation.io but i'm converting it to dream nation love soon and uh i'm on twitter too uh, dream nation love my um tag is also yulia nyc on twitter i'm active on that you can always DM me. I have a sub stack under Dream Nation Love and I publish monthly newsletters and it has a lot of information on um, vegan snacks <laughs> as well as new podcast episodes that come out as well as music and books that I'm reading too. And what else? And the new episodes are coming out very slowly because I am a parent to a two-year-old and I also move around a lot and I also have another baby on the way in August. So I am... Uh, a little over my head, but doing great. <laughs> so um, I'm hoping the next episodes are going to come out in springtime. Um, Melissa and I are working on them. I keep on adding more interviews as I go. I know I can probably like knock these interviews out really, really quickly. And like Melissa and I can arrange them really quickly, but I keep on going down further into the rabbit hole. So I keep on finding new voices that are really, really interesting that I keep on adding. So they're taking their time. So please be patient. I'm only one person and I work during my daughter's uh, nap time. And in the evening, if she decides to go to sleep, which she's like an insomniac. So um, hopefully in the springtime around April, um, hoping to have at least a few episodes done, but we have four more to go out of five. And I hope that you share them and I hope you really spread the word about them because I think they're really, 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 really informative. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the Indigenous Vision podcast brought to you by IV. We are an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona, and this is our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about some of our other projects, including Indigenous land mapping, Indigenous Vision music, or our cultural humility trainings, check out our website indigenousvision.org. Our next cultural humility training starts on March 23rd. And if you can't make that one, we also have one coming up at the end of May. You can register right now on our Eventbrite pages. Again, all the links will be shared in the show notes for the description, including the very first episode of Dream Nation Loves MMIW series. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the world to us. Leave a review, share if you can, and we will talk to you on the next one. Have a fabulous day.